bully at school when you were in school? Most of us probably can remember at least one, if, if not more, who were bullies when we were in school. Our bully was, and I'm not making this up, our bully was Butch. His name was Butch. He actually had the name Butch, and he was the bully in our school. Uh, and I, although I'm really not proud of it, the only time I ever got in a fight at school was with Butch. And uh, so that, that's, that's the bad memory of my part, but you probably have your memory of a bully. I want to talk to you this morning about an incident in the Bible in which there was a real bully. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 20, we read about Ben-Hadad, who was king of Syria, and he issued a threat to Ahab, king of Israel. You remember this. Ben-Hadad sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city and said to him, Thy silver and thy gold is mine, thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest, goodliest are mine. Ben-Hadad basically said, I'm coming and I'm taking everything. Everything you got is mine. Well, Ahab sent a response. He, the king of Israel, answered and said, Tell him, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. Basically, Ahab said, well, don't brag about it till you got the job done, is what he said. Well, the story evolves, but it doesn't look good. It goes on to say the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids, but the Syrians filled the country. Doesn't look like good odds there, does it? Ahab said, well, I'm going to fight. I'm not just going to hand everything over. And don't be bragging that you've got the job done till it's done. But when you numbered the Syrian forces against uh, Israel, it didn't look good. He says Israel looked like two little flocks of sheep in front of this massive army of the Syrians. Well, a prophet comes and he promises something from God. There came a man from God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, I will deliver all this great multitude in thy hand, into thy hand and ye shall know that I am the Lord. God promises to fight for Israel. And even though the odds look incredibly bad against them, as we've often said and has been said so often, if God is on your side, then that constitutes a majority. And so even if they were much less in number, God promised to be on their side. And so there was victory. The children of Israel slew of the Syrians a hundred thousand footmen in one day. And Ben-Hadad fled and came into the city into an inner chamber. And so despite these incredibly bad odds, the bully Ben-Hadad was beaten. Uh, the, the Israelites were incredibly successful in the battle. But subsequent to that, Ahab did something that he should not have done. Ben-Hadad's servants said unto him, said to Ben-Hadad, Behold, now we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us, I pray thee, put sackcloth on our loins and ropes upon our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Peradventure he will save thy life. So basically, Ben-Hadad's servants said, Let's beg for peace. Let's, let's beg that he won't just continue to destroy us. Maybe he'll spare us. So Ahab made a covenant with Ben-Hadad and sent him away. Here's this terrible bully, Ben-Hadad of Syria. And he'd been threatening Israel, but God blessed Israel, fought for them. They won the victory. But then, of all things, Ahab turns around and makes a treaty with Ben-Hadad and spares him. So, a prophet is sent from God. The prophet departed, waited for the king by the way, and disguised himself with ashes upon his face. And as the king passed by, he cried unto the king, and he said, Thy servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside and brought a man unto me and said, 
keep this man. Uh, if by any means he be missing, then shall thy life be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. And as thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. This prophet of God is acting in a, a scenario similar to the one I think that we most often remember of Nathan the prophet when he came to King David in the Bathsheba affair. But here, this prophet disguises himself and says, I was at the battle. And uh, it was assigned to me to keep this prisoner. And I was warned, you keep the prisoner or pay the price. But I got busy and he got away. So Ahab responds, the king of Israel said to him, So shall thy judgment be, thyself hast decided it. And he hastened and took the ashes away from his face. And the king of Israel discerned him that he was of the prophets. And he said to him, Thus saith the Lord, because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore thy life shall go for his life and thy people for his people. And so the prophet says to Ahab, you were the one who was supposed to take care of Ben-Hadad. You were the one into whose hands was delivered this one that God wanted destroyed and you didn't do it and now you're going to pay the price for it. And so here's the story of a Bible bully, Ben-Hadad. Here's a chance to punish him for all of his wickedness, and Ahab did not do it. We want to build our lesson, very simple, easy lesson this morning. We want to build upon this story that we've just read from 1 Kings chapter 20. Before we get into that, let's stop for a minute to say thank you for being present on this Lord's Day morning. We're so glad to be able to be together. It's a great honor and privilege for us to be here. Uh, it's a blessing. But more than anything else, it's an opportunity for us to honor and glorify our God in heaven. And we pray that he will be glorified by all that we do today. We believe we glorify him by serving and worshiping him in strict accordance with his instructions given in the word of God. We're trying to do that. We're trying to do Bible things in Bible ways. And so if you ask us, why do you do it that way? Hopefully we could give you a Bible answer for any such question you might ask. If you have those questions, if you have those questions, Please ask them, and we'll try to give an answer. We're glad for everybody who's here. Thanks to our visitors especially. Please come back every time you have a chance to be with us. What about this story? I want to build our lesson this morning and some three simple observations upon what the, the prophet told as he was sort of posting this scenario to King Ahab. He said, this, this prisoner was put in my charge. But I was warned, keep this man, if by any means he be missing, then thy life shall be for his life, else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. As thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. I want you to grab that phrase, busy here and there. And, and let's think about that for a minute. You can all picture the story that the prophet told. You know, he was given this job. And it was really ridiculous for him to get so busy doing something else that he let his prisoner escape. He got busy here and there. When his primary job was to take care of this prisoner, he got busy doing something else, and the prisoner escaped. That's just bad. We can all see that. It's one of those kind of scenarios that's so easy to, to make the connection. He was busy here and there. He shouldn't have been. He should have been paying attention to his business. I want to try to draw a parallel to that in regards to our business. Our business is spiritual business. Our business is serving God. But I'm worried that we allow ourselves to become busy here and there and fail to do what is our most important responsibility. 
first observation I would make about that is that we are, in fact, a very busy people. We're busy. We're busy people. Now, we're not necessarily busy like people used to be. In past generations, people were really busy, but they were working. They were working almost nonstop just with the intention of survival, you know. Uh, they would work literally from sun up to sundown at hard physical labor just to have enough to make do. They worked hard at survival. They were very busy just surviving. Several of us have often observed to one another if we had to work as hard as our forefathers worked, it would probably kill us in just a few days. We just, we just don't work that hard. But that's not to say that we're not busy. We are busy. But now, instead of having to work hard just to survive, we have the opportunity to spend ourselves in leisure pursuits. We have leisure time. But we fill up our leisure time with all kinds of activities, and we stay very busy. Of course, we do have our work, but it's typically a five-day work week, and sometimes they even talk about shortening the work week to four days. But... No matter how much time they give us, we're still busy with kids, with school, with ball games, with TV, with recreation. Uh, we've got shopping and we've got everything else to occupy. We're busy. We stay busy. Our schedules stay full. Yesterday was Saturday, and typically Saturday for lots of most people, I suppose, is a, is a day off from work. But my guess is if you had Saturday off from work yesterday, you crammed it full of all kinds of activities and by the end of the day, you're perhaps more exhausted than you would have been at a normal work day. And that's just indicative of the fact that we stay so very busy. Now, what's wrong with that? Well, the problem of that, I think, is described by Jesus when he told the parable of the sower. And then he explained what that parable of the sower meant. In Luke chapter 8, verse 14, when the seed was sown, he said, That which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. I think the danger described here of letting the cares, riches, and pleasures of life choke out the Word and so that we do not bring fruit to perfection, I think that probably applies to us more than it's ever applied to any, any generation ever since Jesus spoke those words. It was obviously a danger in Jesus' time for him to make it a part of that parable. But it's a greater danger in our time than ever before. We get busy, and, and we let all the busyness keep us from doing God's will in our lives, from bringing forth fruit to perfection. So, that guy in the story told by the prophet was busy. Here and there, we're busy. Try to make the parallel. He had an important assignment. He had a job that should have been foremost in his mind, but he got busy. And it kept him from doing what he should have been doing, kept him from paying attention to his primary mission. I think that's the danger. Now, someone might object and say, yeah, we're busy, of course, but uh, we're not doing things uh, that are bad. You know? We're busy, as we certainly pointed out, but we're not busy doing the kinds of things that the wicked people of the world are doing. And, and I'm, I sure hope that that's a true observation. It better be a true observation. There's a whole lot of wickedness out there in the world. I mean, at incredible levels, and it's getting worse all the time, as you well know. Uh, just yesterday, I don't know if you might have noticed in the news, a, a big march in Washington, uh, and primarily composed of women, 
who were there to pro- protest the right to continue to have abortions. Yeah. Huge numbers of people protesting so that they can keep killing babies. That's basically what it was. Do we live in a wicked world? Oh, by all means, we live in a very wicked world. And we might sort of console ourselves uh, by saying, maybe I'm busy, maybe I let myself get too busy, but I'm not at least busy doing those kinds of things that the evil world is doing. Uh, you know, look at the things that keep me busy. You know, I keep busy with my work, but I've got to work. I keep busy with my family, but family's important. I've got to, I've got to pay attention to my family. Um, and, and, you know, when I do engage in recreation, it's not bad, you know. Uh, there, there's nothing wrong with playing golf or going camping or, or for you ladies to go shopping. That, that, those things are not inherently evil. And so, although we're busy, we're not busy doing bad things. And, and really, come on, preacher, you need to lighten up a little bit after all, you know. Uh, the things we're doing are not bad things. Well, let's test that argument for a minute. Let's test the argument that it, it, even though we may be so busy that we're neglecting our duties, the things we're doing are not necessarily bad. Let's test if, the, if God signs off on that kind of justification. Uh, what about, for instance, the idea that I'm working. I'm real busy with work, you know. We're working a lot of overtime at work, and it keeps me from doing some of the other things, but work's not bad, right? And so it, it's okay because it's work. It's not like I'm out here committing evil sinful, immoral deeds. I'm just busy working. Let's see how God used that. You know the story in Luke chapter 12, beginning verse 16. Jesus spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What was this guy doing? Well, he was busy, right? He was quite busy. But what he was doing wasn't evil. He was just working. He wasn't being dishonest. He wasn't out stealing his wealth. He was earning his wealth. Uh, he wasn't mean and abusive. There's nothing in this this story that Jesus told, this parable of the rich farmer. There's nothing in the activity that he was involved in that was inherently evil. But I want you to notice that God called him a fool, thou fool. Uh, he had put forth other things before spiritual things. He had neglected God in pursuit of his work, accumulating his wealth. He wasn't doing it in evil ways. He wasn't being immoral. There's nothing in the story that implies that. But he was still foolish because he had been busy, too busy to be serving God faithfully. So the argument, I'm busy, and I know that it keeps me from doing some things that I ought to be doing, but but it's not bad stuff. I'm not busy doing bad stuff. That sort of fails when we read the story of the rich farmer. What he's doing wasn't bad stuff, right? But God still called him a fool because he was neglecting the more important. What about family? You know, I know that I don't always get all the things done spiritually that I ought to do. Um, I don't worship maybe as often as I should. I'm not regular in attendance. But, you know, there's just some family matters that I have to pay attention to, you know. And because I, 
I, you know, I need to spend time with my family. It keeps me from doing some of those other things. What about letting my family? Family's good, right? Family's all good. But what about letting my family keep me from my spiritual duties? Jesus said in Matthew 10, beginning verse 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. You know, not even for family's sake, not even family is an acceptable excuse for neglecting my duties to God. Do you see that? And I think we could go on and multiply the examples along this line. But what we, the point we want to make is, even if the things we're doing are not necessarily bad things, if we're so busy that it keeps us from our first job of serving God faithfully, then we're too busy. Too busy for God. You're just too busy. Finally, the third observation. I think we are clearly in danger of neglecting the one thing that is very most important. You know what that is, right? You understand. We've got to put God first. Logan read for us earlier Solomon's famous conclusion to his long essay in the book of Ecclesiastes where he was seeking for meaning in life. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Notice, Solomon said that this was the whole duty of man. This is what it's about. What's it about? What are we here for? What's our purpose for existence? The whole duty of man is to fear God and keep His commandments. That's what it's about. And if you're not doing that, you're missing the whole purpose of your existence. He didn't say a big part of the duty of man is to fear God, keep His commandments. He didn't say a significant part of your time should be spent fearing God and keeping His commandments. He didn't say that. He said fearing God and keeping His commandments is the whole duty of man. That's totally what this is about. And if you haven't got your priorities sorted out that way, and you haven't got it right. This is the whole duty of man. And so we can't let these other activities, busy here and there, doing this or that. They're not bad things, mind you. But if we're out here doing these other things and it's keeping us from our primary purpose in life, then we've got it all wrong. You know from the Sermon on the Mount, the famous words of Jesus, Matthew 6, verse 25, and then skipping to verse 33. Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. These other things are necessary, but putting God's and His kingdom first is more important. And there's really a very significant promise from the Lord here, that if we'll p- truly put Him first... Other necessary things will will be there. But you've got to have faith to put God first. That's what he demands. He's not just asking or advising. He's commanding that he be put first. Um, Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We've pointed out so many times before that Jesus is asking some questions there, and the answers to the questions are so obvious you don't even have to state them. That if you were able to gain the whole world and lose your soul, you'd be making a bad trade-off. We need to understand that to be true. So, three simple observations 
from that story back in the days of King Ahab in Israel. When the bully Ben-Hadad came, Ahab was, was appointed by God to punish that foreign king. And he didn't do his job. When the prophet came to him and told him that little story, you know, I was, they gave me a prisoner to keep and, and I was supposed to watch him and I was warned to watch him, but I got busy here and there and I let him escape. That was Ahab, right? Ahab had been given a job to do and he didn't follow through with it and God was going to punish him for that. What about us? If we get busy here and there, certainly, no doubt, we're busy. Hopefully, Certainly, I would trust that the things we're doing are not necessarily bad in themselves. But if we let them keep us from doing the single most important thing that we ought to be doing, then it is a problem. Go back to that story one more time. Remember, there's the phrase that we sort of built our lesson on when the prophet told the story. I was to, I was to keep this prisoner. I was warned, keep this man. If by any means he be missing, then shall thy life be for his or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. I was warned. But I got busy here and there and I didn't do the job that was assigned to me. Well, notice, Ahab said, so shall thy judgment be. Thou hast decided it. Basically says, Ahab basically said, well, your own words condemn you. You knew that you were supposed to keep the prisoner and you didn't keep the prisoner. Your own words condemn you. And so that's what we're going to do. And it was then, of course, the prophet revealed himself and Ahab realized he was talking about Ahab himself, right? Think about this. Thy own words, thy, thyself has decided. You've condemned yourself with your own words. Do we ever do that? I know that I should be at church, but... Well, wait a minute. I know I should attend church services faithfully, but my own words just condemn me. I admit it. I knew I should be at church, but I did something else. I know that I should study my Bible, but... And then I explained what else kept me from doing... Wait a minute. My own words just condemned me. I said I knew what I was supposed to be doing, and I didn't do it, right? My own words... When I say, I know I should be at church, I know I should be studying my Bible, I know I should be teaching others, but... And then I try to offer an excuse why I didn't do what I knew I was supposed to... Wouldn't you say that your own words have condemned you when you say that? I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. I think that happens far too often. We know our job. It's just a matter of us being committed to do our job. Do what we're here to do. Serve God faithfully. The whole duty of man. Finally, we remind you of that great appointment that we all have to keep. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. We've got that appointment coming. Are you ready for it? Are you pursuing what's most important? Or are you letting yourself become so busy that you don't know what you know you should, that you don't do what you know you should be doing? Speak to Christians first as we're about to sing this song of invitation. Have you let the busy affairs of life crowd God out of His necessary first place? If that's the case, then you need to repent of that. Come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help praying with you and for you, we'll be glad to do that. Let us know. We're going to also be encouraging those who are not yet Christians. Consider your life and your need to obey the gospel. That simple plan of salvation is hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If we can help you in that or in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.